and I haven't been too good at this in the past, but just encourage you to make sure you're, you're separating up here your year at school or, or whatever. Um, yeah, all the good, good practices. So thank you. So good to have you here this morning. Um, I don't know if you were here last week. I don't think most of you were, but uh, we talked a little bit about um, gifts. I asked them what what they were looking forward to, maybe asking for for Christmas and things. And the week before that, we talked about how God wants to give us good things. Sometimes we ask for one thing, and God wants to give us His best. And so we want to be looking for that. So today we're going to talk about one of the specific things that God wants to give us. Um, so I need a volunteer this morning, Colin. Is one of you willing to do that this morning? Anybody? Stephanie, would you want to help me? <laughs> well, I can't tell you for the rest of it. It is not hard. You don't have to say it. Say anything. Somebody help them out. They're really bashful today. Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Jesus is the one that sets us free. And that's what we're celebrating this month. That Jesus came to set us free. And so we have another verse that we're going to share. And Romans 8 tells us, Those who are in Christ Jesus are not judged guilty. Because in Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit that brings life made me free. It made me free from the law that brings sin and death. And so when Adam and Eve sin, when we sin, it brings death into our life. And there's no way out of that unless we have Jesus in our life. And this is one who tells us that Jesus sets us free from that. And so today we're going to be talking more with the adults. I'm 
encourage you to listen to some more of the details. But we talked about how Jesus actually makes our lives free. And how even after we ask Jesus into our life, we, we stop sinning completely when we ask Jesus in our life. No, they kick that shit in the head. No, we don't. Because we still have a sinful nature. And so we need to keep going to Jesus for that freedom and asking for his forgiveness and forgiveness and help. So thanks for helping me out this morning. You folks can go back to your seats. And uh, we're going to move on to our congregational prayer and praise time. As I said a few weeks ago, I want this to become not just presenting our requests, but making sure that we're giving our praises. And uh, while you're thinking about whether you have something you want to share this morning, um, I want to share a little bit about yesterday. We had Winterfest yesterday, and it was, a, it was a good day. And I just want to say thank you for all the helpers, uh, for the cookies and, and different things that, that were provided, for the helpers that showed up in cold weather to help connect with our community. Um, Susan tried to keep track. We don't have an exact count, but we had over 700 bags of cookies that were donated. And uh, probably if um, everybody that was there had come by our, our tent or taken them, some people didn't bring their cookies. I don't understand that. But some people didn't take our cookies. But if everybody that was there had taken cookies, we probably would have got rid of all of them. We probably have been about half, we estimate. And so um, we're going to hand a few of those out this morning for those who want them. But we're also going to try to maybe give some to uh, Rainbow Bend. Uh, we used to donate a lot of cookies. Um, not sure if we'll take them. If folks can think of them, check with them. And maybe some local food banks can think of as well to see if they could use those extra cookies. But the point is, you guys were very generous and gracious. Thank you for, for all the volunteers. Thanks again for those that showed up yesterday. We, we had a good time. And I believe we did connect with a lot of people. Um, several took information. Susan shared with me that one couple that was there didn't want any hot chocolate, didn't want any cookies, but they did take our flyers and information about our church. So we're, we're trusting that God's going to use those connections in, in some way. Any phrases or prayer requests that you would like to, to share this morning? Yes. A friend of mine has found out her brother needs a kidney, and she is going to be donating one to her. So at this point, it's just prayers for they should donors should not since their brother and sister biologically. But who knows? And um, just prayers that everything works out well for them. Okay. Any others? If not, let's go pray. Father, again, it's, it's good to be be in your presence, be with these people, both in person and across the internet, that are like-minded, who are seeking you, desiring to grow in you, wanting to celebrate you this morning and what you've done for us. So we thank you for this opportunity, and we thank you for sending your son as we take the next three weeks, four weeks, to celebrate that and explore what it means in our hearts in new ways. The season is always special. Always seems to be a little more emotional. It always seems to be a little more open to others and sharing. Would you just multiply that work in our hearts? Make it one for us to do. Lord, I thank you Hearts that were demonstrated yesterday by Joanne, by the cookies that were given, by the service in the cold weather to, to hand things out to others. And so many were surprised when they heard it was free. And we weren't looking for money. 
how do we pray that you show us other ways that we can be about blessing our community, blessing our friends and neighbors and friends, taking their eyes to be your eyes. Lord, we lift up to you again. The preparation that he has done continues to minister before you in this sermon. As he is preparing now, taking prayers from his Lord Jesus, administer his word. Direct each step. <coughs> Bless each interaction, each relationship. And so that we can good and meaning. May they be encouragement. Bringing back hope and storytelling. Lord, we think of Penny and Heather this morning who are likely going through a transition of Penny packing up in Thailand and preparing to come home and Heather went to the Zimbabwe area. And Lord, would you just work in a special way to take care of all that we need? Directions that she did. Lord, we pray for the poor that you were with us and shared about the ministry to the Caribbean and the children there. And we pray that you bless them as they continue to go to churches to share what's going on. Lord, we pray for Echo that we've been sharing about for weeks and you've volunteered to minister to the homeless. And as we stood out to get the word out, we pray that night, Lord. And reminded us. How important it is at this time to travel one safe place to be. So we do touch hearts to volunteer and make that resource available to them. We pray for everybody going to spring ministry to children in our community and ask that you would provide the things that they need to finish out the year and last the school. Provide the physical resources as well. So you thought a little bit, I guess, from what I shared with the kids of the direction that we're going to be going, but we are now in December, as you know, and thoughts quickly change, and um, aside from the virus, it has consumed much of our thoughts. It may be a scale of the election process and so forth. Most of our thoughts are turned to the celebration that will take place. Probably like me, this week has been spent with some time decorating, working with Christmas lights. I'm glad I only do that once a year. We bought a Christmas, a pre-lit Christmas tree because that was supposed to be easier. In the last two years, I've had to replace part of the lights on the tree because they weren't working. So I don't know if it's been easier or not. But those are the kind of things that are filling our time, planning and preparation, and of course choosing guests. Deciding what will we share with our family and friends and things that we want to bless. And, and gifts are certainly an important part of Christmas um, for each of us. I don't know of anyone who doesn't enjoy getting gifts. And for many people, they enjoy even more giving gifts. There's something special about spending time thinking about a person and trying to find the right gift that will be meaningful to them. <coughs> Knowing that when they open it, when you see the look on their face, that they will be touched, and that that will bless you because you've been able 
here in expression of love. So, so gifts are meaningful. And uh, often, probably when it's not COVID, um, we play this game of a gift exchange where uh, everybody buys a small gift and you wrap it and you bring it. And then you go through this process of one person starts out and they select the gift and they open it and show everybody what it is. And the next person can choose, do I want to take that gift away from that person that I already know what it is, or do I want to give it to Carl and make him something else? And you go through that until you're down to the last gift, and one person doesn't have that. Then they have that choice to make with what they're going to take. Sometimes, when you get to that point with the last person and the last gift, it's the gift they brought. And they know what's in there. And they could choose take home what they brought because maybe they liked it. Um, maybe they didn't do anything else. Or maybe sometimes a kind-hearted person will see somebody with something that isn't as nice as what they brought. And they take that away from that person to give them an opportunity to get a specific lesson. That's what we're going to talk about for the next three weeks. How God gives us a gift exchange. We take something in our life that aren't nice, that maybe aren't appreciated, or we don't want, and exchanges them for something much better. So we're going to be looking at a gift exchange, and we're going to start out by looking at Isaiah chapter 61. So if you want to turn there with me, I'm going to read the first three verses. They're probably somewhat familiar to most of you. Isaiah 61, 1 to 3. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me. He preached good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in violence. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord for the display of his grandeur. Now you may say, why, when it's Christmas season, will we turn to Isaiah? Maybe you've already seen it, maybe you know it, but um, Isaiah is the book of prophecy that has the most to say about the Messiah, about the one who would come to rescue us. And so I think it's appropriate that we look there as we think about Christmas. And I don't know if you know this or not, but um, I read this week that Isaiah is much like the Bible itself. The first 39 chapters are about the state of the world before salvation. And the judgment that is to come. In the Bible, the Old Testament is 39 books, and it gives the history of God's plan before salvation comes. And then there's 27 more chapters that talk about the restoration of Israel and the restoration of the world under the Messiah. And that kind of represents the New Testament. But God's plan of restoration, of refreshment, that's what we talked about last week, is there in the last 27 chapters of Isaiah. And verse 1 says that the Spirit of the Lord was upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Not the poor and well, but the poor in spirit. Those who are struggling, those who have the need, and as you will see in a little bit, those who are bound up by something that they can't get away from. To those, he has good news. And Jesus reads these words in Luke chapter 4. They're not the exact same words. Um, not sure why that is, but you can obviously see the, the resemblance. If you want to turn to Luke chapter 4, we're going to read verses 18 to 21. To give the setting a little bit, Jesus was known as a teacher who came into 
the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. And the rabbis there, knowing that he was a teacher, offered him the scroll and the opportunity to, to read the word and give some insight into it. So they hand, so that they handed him the scroll and he found the place. And this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him, excuse me, fastened upon him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so Jesus is saying not once that Isaiah said was anointed by the Lord, but was sent to proclaim good news, that's me. And I'm here to tell you what that good news is. There's a message that Jesus has. And as we as we think about Christmas, as we think about this season, um, the whole purpose of Jesus coming is to share this good news to those who are poor in spirit. And the words of good news to the poor match what the angel said. If you want something a little more related to the Christmas season itself, what did the angel tell the shepherds? Bring you glad tidings of great joy for all people. That's the message that Jesus came to share. And what I want us to, to think about um, as we begin this series is that message that Jesus came to share is the message that we're to be sharing. Uh, on the screen is our mission statement, condensed mission statement. Leading people to a joyful, life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Our purpose, our message should be the same as the one that Jesus brought, that Jesus came at Christmas for, to share with the world. And so we want to know what these things are that Jesus says that to proclaim, that bring joy, to bring life change, so that we can be sharing it. So, what is the first gift we're going to look at? We're going to look at three over the next three weeks. What's the first gift? It's found in verse 1. And it says, looking back to Isaiah, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. The first gift that Jesus is bringing us is freedom. Freedom from a captivity that holds each and every one of us, that makes life not what it's supposed to be. What is that thing that binds us? We already shared it with the young people here. It's called sin. And each one of us have it. Sin has done damage to all of us in ways that we don't even Sometimes we miss. But it works on our spirit. It works on our emotions. It, it works on our relationships with humans and with God. And if we don't get rid of it, it binds us up to the point where we can't interact. And the Messiah announces, I'm here to free you from that. To release you from those bonds. Proverbs 5.22 says, as we read with the kids, an evil man is held captive by his own sin, but our ropes have kept him holding. Adam and Eve thought eating the fruit was going to set them free. They thought, I'm going to be like God, and I, I'm going to reap a new level and be able to enjoy, enjoy everything in a way I haven't been. Is that what happened? It didn't quite work out that way, did it? Instead, they became a prisoner to their consequences. They no longer could be in the garden. They had to, to work and to 
slaves. Their children carried their sin. There was, there was a lot of consequences to their sin, and there was no way for them to get out of it. They were prisoners of guilt and to shame. I've alluded several times to this in the passage there in, in Genesis that tells us that they were used to walking in the presence of God in the garden, and now they did. They tried to cover their bodies because they were ashamed. They were a prisoner to that guilt and shame. There was no way to be free from it. And they were a prisoner to death. Death now ends the world. And there was no way to escape from that. If we look at the next verse in Proverbs, we just read 5.22. In 5.23 it says, He, meaning the evil person, will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. And just as we know that was true for Adam and Eve, it's true for us. If we follow our sin, we allow those things that we want, that we think set us free, that we think we will enjoy more than following God. If we allow them to make us captive and don't seek the freedom Jesus has given us, then we too will die in those sins. John 8.34, Jesus gives us hope. This message that we're talking about, this message of freedom from those bonds. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. And there's great joy, great hope in that message that Jesus said, I've come that you can be truly free in a way that you've never comprehended. No understood before. All those things you were seeking after that you thought would fulfill you, don't do it. I will. I will make you free. We've talked over the last several weeks, several times, about the choice that we have to make to accept this gift that Jesus is offering us, to accept his sacrifice. And so we're not going to dwell on this real long. But I just want to say, like any gift, it's not yours until you receive it. It's like the cookies yesterday that we wanted to hand out. Some people say they're not taking the cookies. We don't want the gift we were offering. It's not yours until you take it out of hand and receive it. So if you have not done that yet, you're not free yet. If you know the history of Isaiah at all, that we just read from, Isaiah was a prophet for many years, and his life didn't end in peace. He was martyred, killed for the message that he shared. Partly a message of judgment, but also hope if he responded to God and repented. Most people didn't like that message. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a legacy, not 100% certain it's accurate, but there's a legacy that he's actually falling out. No way to go. For presenting the word of God. So the people who received this message didn't want to hear it, didn't want to receive it. They tried to do the same thing to Jesus. If we took time to read the rest of Luke chapter 4, that we just read from, and I said that Jesus was in Nazareth, and we read this scripture, and it says, Today in your presence, this prophecy is fulfilled. I'm here with great news for you, that you can be free. And it goes along with a little bit of a conversation with those people, and what did they do? They let him out to a high hill and wanted to throw him off and kill him. That what you do when somebody wants to set you free? But see, we have that same choice. We can either fool ourselves and say, I'm not bound up, I'm not captive, I don't need your freedom, I don't need you, and keep going the way we are. Or we can realize, yeah, I really am captive to the foolish choices I've made, and I need the freedom of Jesus. 
So for those of us who have already accepted that gift, who have already accepted Christ's freedom, and shared it with the children, it's an ongoing thing. We need to continue to seek that freedom because the truth is, we have a destination. It does not immediately disappear when we ask Christ into our life. And I found an interesting story this week. Um, some people train hawks or falcons um, to hunt for them. And the way they start out is they wear a big leather glove so the talons of the hawk don't hurt their arm or their hand. And they begin to feed the hawk on this glove so that the hawk can stand there. And after they kind of get accustomed to them, then they tie uh, a leather cord to the hawk. And they'll throw a piece of meat out, and the hawk will jump off and go get the meat. And then they make a command for it to come back to the glove. And then go a little farther and a little farther. About 100 feet um, is what I read, is the maximum. Until they feel like the hawk is comfortable. And then what they do is they take the leash off. And an interesting thing happens. Even though the hawk is free, it won't go more than 100 feet. Because it still thinks it's a captive. And we do kind of the same thing. We ask Jesus into our life and we have that moment of, of freedom, but we still carry <coughs> with us. Again, someday I'll give you this message from Lazarus, but Jesus tells Lazarus when he comes out of the grave, the people around you need to help you take these things off, these graves clothes off. We carry with us things of the past that we need to deal with, and if we never do, we can continue to be bound by them, and we shouldn't be. We're going to turn to Romans chapter 7. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Because this is a deep passage. And I just feel like the words from the New Living Translation are a little bit clearer. So starting at verse 14 in chapter 7 of Romans, it says, So the trouble is not with the law. For it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. So Paul, one of the greatest Christian leaders ever, tells us that even for him, there is a part of his life that battles with him constantly. That he struggles to let go of the sin of the past. And we all have those things. Jesus gives us the opportunity to be free from things like greed and vanity and pride and addiction and abuse and gluttony and selfishness and many other things. But for many, we're still in bondage. Because we keep turning back to those things. Somehow we think there's joy or fulfillment or satisfaction in some of those things we all know God can offer us, but we continue to pursue things that we shouldn't. And as I prepared this week, I kind of made a list of things that we can allow ourselves to be captive to. One of those things is fear. We cannot trust the power of God and we, we worry about this about that. 
you all agree that words can bond us up in grace, can make our emotions and our very physical being feel like it's tied up in knots. And I put it beside us here the news. Many of us um, listen to the news frequently and are discouraged or concerned or just wonder where we're headed. And the truth is, God gives us grace. It doesn't matter where I'm headed, um, because the promises are always good. Another thing that can bind us up is money. Some of us pursue that in a way that's not healthy. We learned when we studied prayer that we're supposed to be asking just for what we need today. Not great desires, not, not great riches, but just what we need. We're pursuing money more than we're pursuing God, and we found that. A friend shared with me this week about someone he knows that is pretty well off, owns a number of properties, rental properties, and different things, and his life is consumed with caring for all those things. He doesn't give a lot of sleep. He doesn't. Have a whole lot of relationships. When they have family activities, he's always late. Because he's consumed with caring for all the things that he does. And God can set us free from that. God can set us free from that. We can be consumed with success, not necessarily money, but just looking good, looking like we're, we've got the position of power, we've got people's appreciation and recognition. We can be bound up by comfort. Wanting to be comfortable all the time. Thinking there shouldn't be any pain in my life if I'm a Christian. Thinking that I should have an abundance of everything. And that's, that's not what God's word tells us. God doesn't say it's going to keep comfort. Says to be joyful in everything. Some other things we can be bound up is traditions or regulations. We can allow how things have always been. And somebody wants to change that and it sets us off. If that's the case, there's a good chance we'll have a pastor by the past, by tradition. Lust and envy. I think I have to be too specific there, but some of us just desire things that, that aren't ours. And we spend an awful lot of time thinking at them, looking at them. And that certainly doesn't glorify the Lord. I put down here love, that way surprises us. So we may be seeking someone else's affection so much that we place it in front of us. God's affection. Our relationship with God is that bond of love. And I have to be honest, this is probably where I've struggled the most. Because I've struggled throughout my life wanting to be appreciated, wanting to be accepted, and not feeling like I was a lot of times. And when God brought Susan into my life, I was very thankful. But to be honest, Placed her ahead of God's thoughts and blessings. And it was a more important. Which meant I put a lot more attention on what I did for her than what I did for God. And that's a form of captivity. Bitterness can bind us when we're upset with someone and we won't forgive. Deception when we allow, when we listen to the wrong teachers or allow the world to. Our point of view. And what came to my mind here is how many churches are accepting um, gay marriage, like they encourage it. And I believe you've heard me say, I believe we have not loved uh, homosexuals enough. That's why they're so antagonistic to the church, because all they say to us is condemnation. We have hope for them that we need to 
offering. But the hope comes in sharing the truth, not in expecting it. So many who have been deceived. I, I, again, I heard this week about a church worker who cried when her church did not vote to allow gay marriage. And they thought that they were expressing love to the gay people and were hurt that the rest of the church didn't seem to agree. And we can be deceived into thinking that our opinion is right. When we listen to the wrong teaching. It sounds good. It sounds like we're supposed to love homosexuals, right? We're supposed to accept everybody, right? That's that's the current teaching. We allow the world to influence our opinion. We can be captured for that. Already kind of mentioned we can be captured for the past. Things that have happened that we could have seen or built from. We can be captured for the future and insecurity. That, that fear we always talk about. I put a couple things here to end that I don't think will surprise you, but one, the phones aren't TVs. Phones and TV, computers, all those things are wonderful blessings. As you can see, I use the technology here in many places, but they can also be a real hindrance. And I have seen people. I've seen myself so concerned in keeping up with their phone or keeping up with their television shows that they miss what's going on around them. We talked with the lame man a couple of weeks ago how Peter and John saw the real man and they reached out to his knee. How can you see people who are walking with their head down on their phone and they don't look in people's eyes? Now, I don't really care for these masks that they're wearing, but I've noticed even with the mask on, I can often tell people's emotions. And people are hurting. And people just aren't like themselves. But if our eyes are on our phones, we won't know that. And we'll miss the moments of our life that we're sharing. And so there's a lot of things that we can be captured to that we allow ourselves to be consumed by. And Jesus wants to set us free. And we stopped in the middle of verse 20. The second half of the verse, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. We don't need to stay in this position. We need to constantly be aware that freedom is available when we seek Him. We need to allow God to be in His presence and allow Him to expose the sin. So we don't even know our holiness captive what they are. And then let him do his first work in you. God wants to set us free. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Braveheart. I've seen it a number of times. I enjoy it. It's about a man named William Wallace in Scotland back in, I believe, in the 1400s. He spent his whole life fighting for his personal freedom and the freedom of his nation, Scotland, from England. And at the end of the movie, he's captured. And he's to be tortured and executed. And he's on the execution stand. And, and they're in the process of carrying out his sentence. And they tell him this can all be over if you'll just give up. Submit to the king who he said wasn't his king. If you just say he's your, your king, this can all be over. hurting and he's weak and sorrowful and he kind of makes a signal and I have something to say and they thought he's going to give in so they kind of back away give him space and I can't show the clip because it's a little too graphic but he kind of musters up his strength and he takes a deep breath and he shouts one word FREEDOM! Even when he had to face the 
insults and the attacks of the people. And being on the cross himself, he was shouting freedom and bringing you free. How can we go back into captivity when that's what Jesus did? When that's what Jesus did? How do we stay free? The answer is back in Isaiah 1 in that first verse, excuse me, 61 in that first verse that we read. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon us. We do it in the power of the Spirit. We just read Romans 7, and it flips over to Romans 8, verses 1 through 4 say this. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So now, yeah, next verse. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the body of weak sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. How do we stay free? We stay in the Spirit. We stay in his presence talked about last week where our refreshment comes from is in the presence of our Savior, in the presence of our Spirit, of His Spirit, and let Him guide us. 2 Corinthians 3 reinforces this, verses 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord Spirit. So there's freedom in the Spirit. And as we looked at again before, Scripture really only has one message. When we read different things and we have different lessons, but they're all the same, the same thing. Once you know Jesus, we are to become one. In his image, transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, and we do this through the Spirit. By spending time in his presence and letting him speak on us and work, speak to us and work in us and mold us. And finally, what does this freedom look like when we receive it? When we're going where we should, what's it look like? Well, I put up here the definition of freedom from the Oxford Dictionary. The power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. Is that the freedom we're talking about? No. That takes us back to Adam and Eve and what brought us into this mess in the first place. We in America have this notion that that's what freedom is. I have my rights. I have the ability to do what I want without restraint. That's what the world is begging for. You can't tell me something to do all day long. It's what I want. I have the freedom to do that. That's not the freedom we're talking about. What really makes us free is when we walk in the county of the Creator's direction. Remember last week we talked about the Good Shepherd? What happens to the sheep if he lets them wander away? They die. They're caught by an animal, or they get stuck in the thorns, or they don't find water, or they, you know, they die. And some might say, well, this shepherd is cruel enough to let the sheep go where it wants to go. No, the shepherd is caring for the sheep and keeping them safe and healthy, and that's true for us, too. Real freedom is found in following the one who the shepherd leads, who's caring for us. First Peter says, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up to evil, but living as servants of God. 
service. How's that go in the same sentence as freedom? Because when we're really in the presence of God, that's what we're going to want. We're going to want to respond to Him and obey Him and follow Him. And believe it or not, we're going to feel freer than we are. Psalm 119, just to add to that thought, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. When we seek God's direction, when we seek His instruction and we follow it, then we'll be free. One final thought. If you'll turn to Acts chapter 16, or if you want to just listen, we're going to read four verses, have one question, and we'll be done. Acts 16, verses 22 to 26. With Paul and Silas, they have freed uh, <coughs> a slave girl from her captivity, from the spirit that controlled her. The owners didn't like that. They go to the leaders and say, put these people in jail. And so Paul and Silas are in jail. And it says, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet on the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors were open and everybody's chains came loose. I have a question. When were Paul and Silas free? Was it when the doors flew open? The head shaking no and it's like they were already free. They were singing and praising, even in the middle of captivity. How could they do that? Because they had the freedom that we're just we've been discussing today. God had set their spirits free. It didn't matter what their condition was. Their spirits were free. They were following what the Lord instructed them to do, and there was no better place to Opening the doors was just a blessing God the Father was saying. What I want you to know as we close today is that's the gift God wants to give you. That you can be free no matter what your circumstances. If you'll just respond to Him. If you'll just follow His precepts. If you daily seek His presence and His ways. Let's pray.